0: everyone. Welcome back to JCM Prepare the Way. My name is Carol, and I just want to thank you all for tuning in to our series on Revelation. And boy, do we have a big episode today because we are covering chapter 13, but we're also going to be revisiting a little in chapter 12 because we're talking about Satan, who's the dragon, and we're talking about two beasts who are going to be the Antichrist and the false prophet. So this is going to be a very uh, enlightening episode, I hope, For all of you. Now, we spent most of our time in chapter 12 talking about the woman. And then when it closed out, it mentioned how the dragon makes war with the children of the woman, those who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. But we didn't spend much time on the dragon himself. So that's what we're going to do today because he, you can't talk about the Antichrist and false prophet without talking about the whole system, which includes the dragon. Now, I also want to just do a very short um, recap on a couple of points I was trying to make about chapter 12. And I'm telling you, sometimes when you're talking about all this imagery, it can just, um, it can be so much, you have to just keep breaking it into chunks. But as I mentioned in the last episode, what is starting to take place in Revelation, if you haven't already noticed, is that God is preparing his people in the world for a greater exodus than the one that took place in the days of Moses. Just as there will be similar type judgments coming upon the earth, similar to the judgments that came upon Egypt, there will also be a dramatic removal of God's people from the bondage that's going to come as a result of the dragon and his unholy seed. So revelation, it is all about that next deliverance unfolding. And because of the nature of what is to take place, much like Pharaoh, the enemy will be none too happy. In fact, it says in chapter 12, he's enraged, and that's when he makes war with Christians and with Jews. But I also just want to highlight the imagery that was pulled into chapter 12. I really don't want us to miss that because it is clearly Exodus language. The woman is going to be given two wings of a great eagle to fly into the wilderness and escape. Well, this is reminiscent, as I mentioned before, of Exodus 19, verse 4 where God is calling his people to remember, remember what he has done for them. When he said to them, you yourself have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Well, he carried them to himself first, where? To the wilderness, to Sinai, to a place that he had prepared for them where he nourished them for a time, right? Providing manna and quail and water well, that is what's going to happen, and that is what was mentioned in chapter 12. This woman is going to flee into the wilderness where she will be nourished for a period of time. And then when the dragon starts to chase her and he's spewing that water out of his mouth, which is reminiscent of, a um, uh, in the Bible, it's like having an army come after you. Well, it is like this woman, the earth is going to help the woman. Because the earth is going to help the woman... By swallowing up the water that is spewed from the dragon's mouth, imagery, that means that it's going to swallow up this army that's coming after this woman, much like how the Red Sea helped the Israelites and ultimately how the Red Sea then swallowed up Pharaoh's army. So it's all coming full circle. And I just don't want us to miss it because as we read through Revelation, it can become kind of discouraging, but I want you to be encouraged. God is at work, and remember what we said about Revelation chapter 5. He has trusted his son with all of the power to close out the end of the age. And if if it's Jesus who is the one that is going to be closing out this age, and we can trust Jesus. So I just wanted to remind you of all that. So God is closing out history, his story, and therefore there are things we will go through on the earth as he's closing it out. and as he's releasing judgments on Satan and his seed, as he's releasing judgments on the earth, on the nations and all who chose not to believe the truth. So today we're going to continue. Only our focus now switches to an unholy trinity that is being established as one more attempt to thwart the plans of God. So I'm going to read Revelation 13. It is a little long, so bear with me. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for forty-two months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He Who kills with the sword, he who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs, so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is six, six, six. Well, now in 12 and here in 13, we are introduced to three um, persons, I guess, so to speak. You have a dragon and you have two beasts who form an alliance to rule the world themselves, a false trinity to mimic the true trinity, where you have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You will have Satan, his unholy seed to mimic Jesus, the Antichrist, and you will have the false prophet. Now, when the dragon was introduced in chapter 12, he was described as someone from the heavenlies, right? So he is angelic in origin, even though he is called a dragon. He was uh, identified as the serpent of old from Genesis. He is Satan. He is the devil. He is our adversary. He is God's adversary. And in Isaiah chapter 14, his key ambitions are listed, which I think is important to reference here. And it's referred by some as the five I wills. When Satan says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. Never forget, Satan's ultimate goal is to be like God. Therefore, when Paul says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, he means it. You are not wrestling against your family or your children or your boss or others. You are wrestling against a spirit. You are wrestling against the spirit of the age, the spirit of the world, the Antichrist spirit. You are wrestling. I am wrestling against Satan's kingdom structure, and it involves fallen angels principalities and powers who are rulers over nations cities you are dealing with spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places and rulers of darkness we're talking about the occult we are talking about a lot of strongholds we are talking about every level of society feeling the influence of this antichrist system of this evil because satan's ultimate goal is to be like god Therefore, he is going to work his lie and lies throughout society. He will ascend, meaning his lies will ascend throughout the school systems. His lies will ascend throughout government. His lies will ascend throughout your family if you let them. And he will bring his lies into the media. He will turn entertainment into an instrument of lies with the ultimate goal being to get everyone thinking the same way about a lie. I need to repeat that. Satan's ultimate goal in order to deceive the world is to get everyone thinking the same way about a lie. And that even includes how they think about God and even his word. This is why the falling away comes first before he's revealed. People will fall for the lies of Satan. They will fall for these other world views to embrace rather than the biblical one. They will leave the truth found in God's word and mix it with other world views in order to fit into society. And they will be living the lie. And they don't even realize what they've done because he's the master at deception. That's why Jesus calls him the father of lies. He creates unrighteous children through deception and lies, masked as light and goodness. Be so very careful, my friends. And in chapter 12, he's hurled out of the heavenlies to earth. He was able to still challenge God directly in heaven up until this point. Remember in the scriptures where Jesus said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, right? But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. That's found in Luke 22, verses 31 to 34, if you want to read it. Well, Satan had access to God to ask him for Peter's life. What about in Zechariah the prophet, chapter 3, verse 1, when it says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. Satan was in the heavenlies or Job chapter one, verses six through eight. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. So although Satan is in rebellion, he still has access to God and he's also still accountable to God. He is a created being, so he is not all-powerful. And he can only be in one place at a time, as evidenced by him walking back and forth on the earth. He's not omnipresent. But keep in mind, he is still our adversary. Although God, though, allowed Satan to test Job for a while, he actively restrained him at the same time. So I just want you to keep those verses in mind as you picture Satan being cast out of heaven. He will be hurled down to the earth. You know, when Jesus spoke of his impending death in John chapter 12, verse 31, he, the father replied and the people heard thunder that whole scene. Well, it says, Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Never forget in the midst of all this, Jesus is already victorious. And in this passage, he is prophesying what is going to happen to Satan. He is going to be cast out. So he is hurled down to earth, cast out of the heavenlies. And later you'll see that he will again be defeated and cast out even further when he is thrown into the abyss in Revelation 20. Meanwhile, though, in the few years he has left, his fury and frustration are concentrated on our planet. Unable to challenge God directly in heaven anymore, he declares war on God's people below in the hopes of retaining his kingdom on earth. And how does he do this? Through puppet rulers, one political and one religious. And these puppet rulers are different than the dragon because they are human in origin and nature, even though they are referred to as beasts. The first and foremost we're going to spend a few minutes on is a political figure, a world dictator who is going to wield a totalitarian regime over all known ethnic groupings. He is what we call the Antichrist. Now, he is called the Antichrist in 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 18. And even though the Antichrist spirit has already been at work from the beginning, John actually uh, gives, a, gives him the specific name in this verse. And it's important to note something really important about the word Antichrist. Anti for the Antichrist in Greek means instead of rather than against, indicating a counterfeit rather than a competitor. And this is a very important point. Most of us, when we think about the Antichrist, automatically just say he's against God. That is true. But he is also coming to be like Christ. Instead of Christ, he is a different type of Christ, a counterfeit. So I want you to think about what counterfeit means for just a moment. The definition, if you were to look it up, is made in an exact imitation, a fraudulent imitation of something else, a forgery. So think about that for a minute. Most people, like if you were to buy a a really pretty bag or a purse, most people don't have access to experts who can tell them that the $3,600 purse you just bought is fake, right? Or if you hold counterfeit money in your hands, uh, a counterfeit in one hand and the real in the other, you'd still need an expert to tell you which one is real and which one is counterfeit. That's how how good the forgeries are. What are we going to do with a counterfeit type Christ? Someone who is going to come across as an exact imitation of the real. None of us truly know what that's going to look like. We're all expecting the Antichrist to be someone who we think we'll be able to easily identify. But guess what? Many won't. I believe, if I can just share my heart here for a minute, I believe the social and love gospel that's being preached today is very dangerous. And I bring that up because it ties into this. Yes, we know Jesus is love and loves people. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the gospel that is literally being preached in pulpits across many countries that is altering or leaving out scripture to justify our moral choices, our morality, using the defense, quote, because Jesus is love. Well, that is not the true gospel. It's a false gospel. It's a social justice gospel. And guess what? It's not new. It actually was around in the early 1900s first, called the exact same thing, the social justice gospel. So be careful. But the reason I bring it up and say it's dangerous is because it's teaching an unbalanced view of God. Focusing on the parts of scripture that justify our social positions or twisting scripture to make God what we think he should be. Or, considering many other parts of Scripture irrelevant today, leaving out difficult passages that command and challenge us to live righteously, or it leaves out passages that speak of hell or sin, sexuality, marriage, family, right? Well, there's a reason, friends, why Jesus spends several passages in the Gospels talking about the danger of not knowing him. Danger to the point of not being permitted into heaven if you don't know him. And I bring that up because when the Antichrist reveals himself, many will be deceived and follow him because he will be a counterfeit, an imitation of the original, which means he will appear at first Christ-like. But in reality, he will be enslaving the world. No wonder Jesus gave us the letters to the churches first in this long letter. They, those people lived under a reflection of what was to come. But Jesus also exhorted the churches to check themselves, get yourselves right. Many were being deceived by different things false prophets, wealth, comfort, the ease of their environment. Remember? So if you want to know how to survive the counterfeit, that is the Antichrist, study those letters and the history of those churches for a while, and you'll know exactly what to do. So the Antichrist is a puppet of Satan. And remember, Satan wants to be like God. So he will send an unholy seed to sway the world away from God to him. And this is why you must know the scriptures. You have to be able to tell the difference. Instead of Christ, the world is going to get an antichrist. And instead of Christ, a counterfeit king who's going to rule and be worshipped by the world. And in the beginning, he may appear to the world as someone who was loving, patient, teaching with wisdom, challenging the religious status quo. A person for the people, right? A light in our darkness. A hope for our despair. Come on. A counterfeit Christ. Someone who is accepting. Who has a servant heart. Someone who prays even. Someone who has followers. It's a counterfeit. But for many, they will be drawn to this, quote, good person because they're a good person. But when you have a balanced view of God, because you are surrendered to him, and you are living by his word, and when you have a balanced view of Jesus Christ, understanding through the scriptures and through the Holy Spirit of truth, what he loves, but also what he finds abominable, what he considers holy or unholy, what he considers righteous and unrighteous. When you have a balanced view of God, you come to understand these things. You come to understand what ignites his anger. You come to understand who gets cast into outer darkness. What happens to people who do not know him? See, when you know him, that means you've spent time in prayer, in holy scriptures, in servanthood, in fellowship. You understand who he is. And when you understand who he really is, that weight, that fear of the Lord, that that incredible reverence comes upon you. And you come to understand the weight and ramifications of not knowing the Bible or living by its standard. That's why we're called Jeremiah's Call Ministries, JCM. We're based off of Colossians 1.28 that says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom to present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. We preach, we warn, and we teach. And we do it unapologetically, not, not for ourselves, but to help you mature in your faith and see the truth. So it's very important the gospel that you're following today will really determine if you can identify this counterfeit to come. And the Antichrist is also called the lawless one in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. And he is going to be acknowledging no higher law than his own will. And therefore, he's going to claim divinity, and he is going to demand worship. He is a human individual who accepts the satanic offer which Jesus refused in Matthew 4, verses 8 through 9. When Satan offered Jesus the kingdoms of the world, this person will take that offer. Jesus didn't. But this also makes him not just anti against God, but anti Christians. He is going to be given the power to make war against the saints and to overcome them. But it's only for a short season 42 months. It's temporary. But the saints overcome him eternally. And how is he described? Well, he's described as a fierce beast. And the imagery that's brought in is much like the imagery that described the dragon in Revelation 12, where he described as having seven heads, ten horns, and seven diadems, right? And those things, they appear to symbolize authority and rulership. And for Satan, it was the empire over which he rules. Well, this is symbolizing that the Antichrist, this beast is going to have global authority. He is going to have authority and rulership. Now, the first beast, the Antichrist, he's not much different except his rulership is going to come from Satan. And his characteristics are those of other fierce beasts, a leopard, a bear, and a lion. And he seems to arise out of a federation of political rulers gaining the attention of the world through an astonishing recovery from a fatal wound. What is this fatal wound? Well, some people think he's going to die and then he's going to come back to life, mimicking like what Jesus, what happened with Jesus. Some people say it's an assassination attempt. And others take a different viewpoint. And it just bears mentioning that since the Bible was a Middle Eastern book written by Middle Eastern men in a Middle Eastern country with Middle Eastern languages, and end time prophecy only mentions Middle Eastern nations, right? The thought is that this person is from the Middle East and represents the resurrection of the Ottoman Empire, an empire that suffered a mortal wound during World War I and was conquered by the British. Muslims have been trying to reestablish the Ottoman Empire ever since, and many today believe that perhaps even Erdogan of Turkey is a key person who just may make uh, resurrecting the Ottoman Empire possible. And so that's just another thought. And then some of you out there might be wondering about Rome. Well, we're going to wait until chapter 17 to discuss Rome. But that just is a few thoughts that people have. No one is quite clear on what this mortal wound is. It's not defined. And so this person, this Antichrist, he is going to speak blasphemous things for 42 months. That word blasphemous in this verse literally means he will rail against God and man. He will speak abusive things. And if he's speaking abusive things against God and man, you can be sure bet, you can sure bet his followers will do the same. And all authority is going to be given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. So this will not be an isolated event. It will have global reach and global impact. And then it goes on to say that everyone will worship him. Everyone whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Which means take this seriously. You know, friends, following Jesus is a narrow path that few find. And those who are not following, they are going the way of everyone else. They want to take that wide path of destruction of destruction as described by Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. And anyone doing that is going to face hardship. But those who are following him, truly, some will go into captivity, just like it was with ancient Israel, and some will be killed by the sword, just like it was with ancient Israel. When King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon was sent as an instrument of justice against them, many died, but others were sent into captivity. And that will happen once again. And so through all this, all this, the saints, God is expecting the saints to endure patiently. And he says, this is the patient endurance of the saints. It is going to be very difficult. So this counterfeit ruler is also the one described as the abomination of desolation in Jesus' end-time discourses found in Matthew 24 and Mark 13, and in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, 11, and 12. So that's the description of the first beast. And his position is bolstered by a second beast, beginning in verse 11. A religious colleague with supernatural power who focuses the world's worship on his superior, just as the Holy Spirit has given us to glorify and point to Jesus, right? The false prophet will do the same thing, only to magnify and point the way to the Antichrist. And his appearance will be like a lamb, which is a young sheep with only two horns, indicating mildness rather than Christlikeness, since it's contrasted with his dragon-like speech. So he will have the appearance of a gentle lamb, but his actions will demonstrate something quite different. And his miracles will deceive the nations as he commands fire to fall from the sky, similar to the two witnesses. You know, Paul prophesied of this mass deception in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8-9, through 9, when he said the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. So Satan is empowering the Antichrist and the false prophet to be able to do these things. He will also have an image built to the beast, to the Antichrist, for everyone to worship, and which he'll be given the power to even make the image speak. You know, this is reminiscent of the book of Daniel and how King Nebuchadnezzar wanted everyone to bow down and worship the image of gold, right? Anyone who wouldn't worship it was put to death. This is the story that is found in Daniel 3 about those three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which actually are their Babylonian names, not their Hebrew names. Well, they were three of Daniel's friends who were part of the captives the Babylonians brought from Israel, I just mentioned. They refused to bow down. And because of that, they were thrown into the fiery furnace, a furnace, by the way, that the king had commanded to be heated seven times hotter than normal because they wouldn't bow down to this statue. And when they went into the furnace nothing happened. In fact, a fourth person was seen in the furnace with them, believed to be the pre-incarnate Jesus. And the flames didn't touch these young men, astonishing everyone to the point that even the king, when he got them out, ordered everyone to start worshiping the true God of Israel. Well, that's what happens here. Those who refuse to worship the image of the beast will be commanded to be put to death. So the story found in Daniel It's there as an example of how to respond when this occurs, when this occurs throughout every age, when we are forced to bow down to a statue or to a system that is clearly anti-God in nature. True followers of Christ are not walking with crowds, friends. They're on the narrow, unpopular path of Jesus Christ, who only said and did what his father told him to do. And true followers will do the same. We will only say and do what Jesus tells us to do. So back to the second beast for for the closing out of this. His master stroke will not only be his display of miracles, but it will be his domination over the markets. Only those bearing a special mark on a visible part of their body, the hand or the forehead, as it's mentioned here, it could be invisible, I suppose, with a chip injected into those areas that can easily be detected. But only those people with that mark will be allowed to, to do business. It will be eerily similar to the seven churches and the trade guilds. And if you didn't listen to the seven churches, I encourage you to go back and listen to those. Again, we've seen reflections of this in the past. What about the Jews, for instance, when they had to wear the gold stars to mark themselves? Or the Reich, of course, they wore the red bands on their arms to signify allegiance? Or what about with COVID? People who refused the vaccination? They were denied entry into restaurants, movies. Some had to quit jobs because of new company regulations. Nurses were forced to quit all over the world. This was clearly, that was clearly a defining moment for the world. People could see for the first time in this present day, how Revelation 13, the mark of the beast, how it could truly be pulled off on a global scale. Get the vaccination or suffer. Now, I'm not saying the the vaccination is the mark of the beast, but it was definitely another precursor of what's to come at some point in the future. Those who receive the mark of the beast will be engaging in imperial idolatry. And as you'll see in another chapter, they will not be allowed into heaven. Therefore, faithful Jews and Christians will be excluded from all commerce, even to the purchase of bare necessities of life that mark, it can either be the name of the beast or his number. And the number of this beast is listed in scripture as 666. A figure in which if you, um, a figure, let me just say this, six is the number for humanity, for man. Whereas the number seven signifies perfection and completeness. And three. Is a biblical number indicating God's sovereignty. So Satan's attempt to be like God even comes through on the mark he plans on given humanity, an imitation of sovereignty, a human attempt at perfection. However, the three sixes for him will only point to human failure for us. The unholy trinity is man's attempt through the influence of Satan, and will ultimately fail. However, the Holy Trinity is complete and perfect, and has already triumphed. And there are many who speculate what the number of the beast could be. Like I mentioned, some people think it's the vaccines. Some people think it could be some kind of a tattoo. Um, Some people say it's a chip of some kind. No one is certain right at this moment. But when the two beasts arrive, Their identity and most likely their strategy will more than likely only be too obvious by that point. But one thing is clear, they will fall short of perfection in every regard. Thank you so much for joining me today on this chapter. I hope you revisit this chapter and ponder it, and I hope this episode gives you more to just think through. And as always, and I encourage you not just with here on this podcast, but with anybody you're listening to, line up our words with the scriptures and only follow what the Holy Spirit shows you as truth. And then let's just keep on keeping on. God bless you today. Take care.